0: we've been going through Hebrews 11, Uh, we jump to each character and see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're picking up with that. And I know that part of the problem, if you will, with going through it that way is that we don't have uh, the time to go all the way through the book, and we will definitely go through the book of Joshua all the other books. But really the hope, again, just to remind us behind this series was to take a look at the men and women of faith, as described in Hebrews 11, and see their faithfulness. But along those lines, also considering the fact that the men and women who were faithful also had some ugly things in their life that happened to them, some bad things they've done. And as we have been considering over the last several weeks, just the different people, hopefully at least I have, and I've been blessed by it, that God uses people despite people. He uses them despite the good, the bad, and the ugly that they do. And part, I guess, again, part of going through the series this way is Joshua. We jump right in the middle in Joshua 6. So what has happened to lead us up to this point? And I just want to just take a brief moment just to give us a little bit of background to fast forward and, and to get us where we're at here. Um, as, as the kids told us, the walls came tumbling down. I was going to invite someone to sing that song if you grew up in Sunday school and the walls came tumbling down. No one? All right. Cool. Um, I don't sing. So anyways, but you know, you probably know, you probably know this story because you know the song. Or maybe you've read it. But just to give us just a quick background, Joshua has taken over leadership of the Israelites. Moses is dead. Moses, again, is the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses and that entire generation that was rescued out of Egypt never actually enters the promised land. Not a one. And they wander the land for 40 years. It took the Israelites, again, that 40 years of walking around and it really should have only taken three months, tops, talking about getting things done quickly. But they are now with the new leader, Joshua. And Joshua is, is, has been called, he is a mighty warrior. He's one of the greatest warriors in, in the Israelite heritage, in the Jewish heritage. And Joshua is charged by God to lead The Israelites. Now, just before I read Joshua 1 6 through 9, what what God tells Joshua, just imagine following in the footsteps of everyone's favorite hero, the guy that got you out of slavery. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Think about if, for those of you who've taken over a position of a beloved manager, director, owner, pastor, Whatever it is, stepping into those shoes, not only stepping into the shoes of a a very successful man, a man that led the generation out, but a very much older man who's now died, who God allowed him to see the promised land on the hill, but not to cross it. And now this younger man, somewhere in his late 20s, early 30s, roughly, is taking over. Now, the most confident of people can handle it. But deep down inside, there has to be some fear and trembling. What happens if, and fill in the blank. So to that, God, so gracious, knows that. And this is what his charge is to Joshua in Joshua 1, verse 6 through 9. And God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a pep talk. What an encouragement. Did you notice that? He says, be strong and courageous several times. And then he also says, but be careful to obey all the instructions. Don't deviate. There's two reasons for this. And I think it's important that it will set up for our time that we'll spend in Joshua 6. Two reasons not to deviate. One, it's our natural inclination to make things personal and our own. When we take over something, we want our name on it. We we want it to be ours. We will honor and respect the past, or at least we should. But at some point, if you take over a business, you don't want Bob's shop when your name is Tom, right? Well, where's Bob? No, it's Tom, you know, whatever. The other one, And more specific is, what Moses gave you is from the Lord, from me, so continue to follow that. So don't deviate, don't try to be cooler than you are, don't try to change it up, what the Lord says he means and is still faithful today. So now he's encouraged, now you're ready to go, right? Let's go fight every battle, let's go do it. And here we take place. So now he's in charge and and just quickly if you just consider what's going on, Joshua is now just about to cross the river and he's about to start the Jordan River and he's about to start. But what I was considering as I was thinking about his faithfulness, and I was thinking, and I wrote this if you if you walk with Jesus for long and you've felt you're likely felt that some of the feelings that you have in God's hope and promise is mixed with some impatience of his timing. So maybe you say things or think things like this, I believe that God is able, but when is he going to do it? I know that he is able to whatever it is, but when is he going to do it? And also, I know God is able to do it, but will I get to experience it? For the Israelites, for that first whole generation, they did not experience the promised land. When I was over in Egypt and Israel the first time I went and we stood where Moses was standing over looking into the promised land and our guide said, this is somewhere here on one of these, (laughs) there's like 70 hills, one of these hills, let's just pretend it's this one. It's good marketing. But anyways, stand here. Now look over and you look past the Jordan River. There's the promised land. Imagine seeing it and knowing you'll never enter it. Now you have two ways to respond, either... You look at it and know that God's faithful, even if it's not for you, or you look at it and say, well, why not me? And that really begins to reveal our heart in our walk with the Lord. The Lord's promises is for the individual, yes, for salvation, but it is for his church, his bride. So just a side note, a sermonette, if you will, will you do what it takes for somebody else to come to know the Lord, even if you do not get the reward, even if you don't See it. If you've served in ministry in any capacity, you do hope that what you are doing has fruit. And many times you don't see it. But are you willing to be obedient? And this is really where this is starting to enter in for Joshua. You are the guy in charge. You are about to cross the Jordan River. You are about to face these odds. Will you be obedient? Because God in his bigness and in his wisdom, we believe in him, but sometimes I would suggest that we have this lingering suspicion that you may know better. Or really what you're saying is, I would have done it a lot sooner. So, what's taking place here is, before they cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land, if you remember, Joshua sends out two spies they run into Rahab, the prostitute. We'll cover her next week, Lord willing. And, and then that moment of truth, after they come back, they have to take a step of faith into the Jordan River, and the water recedes, if you remember. And then they're on dry land. And then if you turn the page, turn to the chapter, they leave 12 stones as a memorial of what God has done, and that will stand there as a reminder for the people. See, and once they cross the the Jordan River, they're in the Promised Land. Roughly, there's two million Israelites. So it's not like a crowd of people, a small crowd. Two million people are crossing the Jordan River. That's a lot of people. And once they cross the river, what's the very first thing Joshua does after he commands? Let's remember this moment by setting up these stones. He reestablishes all of the covenant ceremonies. And the first one he does Circumcision. Now, the second generation, the people that he brought over has not been circumcised. They've not done this in the wilderness up until this point. They're just wandering in the desert. They're not performing any of the ceremonies. So just imagine real quick, you crossed it, you're into the enemy territory, which is the promised land. And the very first thing you do is you circumcise all the men, essentially taking them out of battle ready for seven to 10 days. Why? Why? Because you are going back. Remember what God told Joshua and one, be strong and courageous, but follow what I said. Hey, guys, we're going to do this. I would imagine, it doesn't say in the text, I would imagine people are like, okay, we'll do it. We're going to go back to the old ways. We're going to follow the Lord. But what happens if we get attacked? Don't worry about it. The Lord will take care of it. We are going to start from square one and do what God asked us to do. And I know I say this often, but it's worth repeating. If you are in a season of your life and you don't know what the Lord has asked you to do or wants you to do, go back what was the last thing he's asked you to do and do that. That may simply be go back to his word. Start reading. Start praying. Start being uh, faithful in your attendance to that study, your community group, your life group, your Bible study, whatever it is. The last thing that God told you to do, do that. And he's faithful to reveal the next step. Because even in that, Lord, what do you want me to do? Become so self-centered. What do you want me to do for you? We have to be careful of that. So what's the very first thing Joshua said? All right, circumcise. So here we are. They're doing that. Now again, he sent out those two spies. They're very aware of the fortress. But if you rewind 40 years before in Deuteronomy, if you remember Moses also sent out the spies. Remember when they sent out the spy, whenever he sent out the spies, they said in Deuteronomy one, "The people are so great and tall, and the cities are great and walled up to heaven. And of course, they got punished. And because they did not believe And they wandered around for 40 years That was the punishment They've actually seen Jericho They've seen it before They know what it looks like You remember only two spies said Oh we could do it The other ones are like They're giant Like we're little grasshoppers Look at the size of these grapes You know Well that's the Veggie tale version of it But you get the point uh, <clears throat> Some of you are homeschooled <laughs> i <just gonna clears throat> But you know what I'm talking about? They, they, they've seen this before. That generation, now they're on their second and third generation, and possibly, probably the fourth generation. Um, and now they are facing that. But before we move on to the text for us, I believe it's very, very important to understand that situation. Forty years before this moment, God shows the Israelites what they were going to face, that they were going to face Jericho. And they were scared and they said, God, it cannot be done. But God is so faithful and patient that he will wait 40 plus years in order for us to face strongholds or our Jerichos. 40 years ago, God said this was going to be yours and they saw that it was too big. And what we've seen over and over again as we've been going through Hebrews 11 is every time that we've read of a man or a woman, we haven't got to the women yet except for Sarah, every time they said we couldn't do it, God waited for them. He did not let them proceed. You remember Moses? He said, take a step of faith, go out. Where shall I go? Just go out. He goes out. There's a family. He runs to Egypt. He's there for over two years. He comes back to the very last place. God told him and said, okay, now that you're back, Let's move forward. God's faithful in that. So I do wonder, I'm just considering what kind of strongholds or our Jerichos, for lack of a better term, have we avoided not facing? Because God doesn't simply want us to ignore it or sweep it under the rug. He wants us to face it because that's what usually holds us back in our journey with him. He wants us to face our strongholds sin, temptation, fear, wh- whatever it is that's preventing us from following the Lord, a step of faith. He wants us to deal with them, to get rid of them because the Lord wants us to focus on him and by doing so, he's able to break these strongholds. So just, just, just a moment. I, I usually don't pause too, too long. I just, I just want everyone just to consider what's something that you wish you would have handled before? I mean, there's so many things, at least in my life, like, I, I just thought of like a 100 right now. Like, I wish I would have handled that when I was whatever age that long ago. See, God's faithful to wait for you to get there, to face it. And this is what it is for the entire nation. Two million people. He wants us to face them and deal with them simply because he knows that our focus will become on him. So... What this series, this Good, Bad, and the Ugly, is all really, truly all about God's faithfulness and how those mentioned in Hebrews 11 were able to follow his leading despite all the bad, the ugly that they did. So here we are, Joshua has crossed the river, and if you can picture it in your mind, it's, it's less than two miles away from the Jordan River to this great Jericho. So here's a picture or a rendering of what Jericho looked like just, just for contextual reason. Um, maybe there's it's, it's a double walled city so that first wall there the the white one at the, the bottom by where it says ditch that there alone is 10 feet high then the then the the walls from uh, the first wall is over 40 feet and then there's about 15 feet between the inner wall the rampart the rampart is so wide that Josephus described it as, you could have two chariots side by side going around. And then there's another wall that's roughly 30 feet. So that is what the Lord said, all right, go get him, boys. (laughs) To which they would probably think, um, okay, (laughs) how exactly do you want us to do that? Now, this is about six or seven acres, and there's a water spring inside these walls. And because of these springs, it's the reason why Jericho is the longest continuous inhabited city in the world. So even to this day, you can go there. Even later on in the New Testament, remember the famous story that happened in Jericho? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Oh, there. I'm going to all Sunday school. Right? All of these, this has uh, continued on. And although the walls fall down, we'll talk about that in a moment. So here's, here's this here's what I want you to take over because if you can take over this, this will put fear in everybody in this promised land that belongs to you. So my first point is, the first one that stood out to me is trusting in God despite his plan because a lot of times I want God's plan to make sense to me because I would say, well, God, where's the tanks? Where's the drones? Where's the... Can I at least have a sword? They didn't have swords. So can you trust God despite the plan, despite understanding the plan? Because here's the reality. Would you really need much faith to follow through with a plan that always made sense? Would you really need much faith to follow through with a plan that made much sense? No. Some, but not a lot. That's why we, in Isaiah, later on in Isaiah... That's why we read the, the famous Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 when the Lord tells Isaiah, and this is specifically about the way that he's going to redeem and save the world. He says, My thoughts are not nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. To which I would say, I believe you, God, but how, but, how, but how how? are we going to take this? So trusting in God despite the plan. So quickly, let's just look, look over the plan. We won't read everything. We've already read it, but just to highlight some of the things. Uh, verse 1 in J- Joshua 6, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. The, Is- the people in Jericho are the Canaanites, super wicked people all kinds of sexual sin of every kind, and they also burnt children to their false gods. And they knew once the, the Israelites had crossed the river, they knew they were in for something. So they shut it down, they closed it up, they locked all the gates, everything was fortified. And in verse two, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Notice the tense that he talks about it. He says, I've already done this. You already have victory in this. I have already given you this king. If you want to find out what happens to the king, read uh, Judges, the first Judges. They capture him, cut off his thumbs and his toes. What a way to go. So that way he can never hold a sword or run away or fight ever again. He says, I have already given you Jericho. You are already successful And what do you, what must you do? You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. So just imagine, here's God telling them a plan. He goes, okay, we're going to march around six days. Okay, when do we attack? No, no. Listen, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. So we're bringing the priests. Pastors can't fight like weak sauce, okay? Like you, 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 okay, all right. Carrying a ram's horn. Okay, no swords, but a ram's horn. And specifically, the Levitical law, it has to be the left horn of, of a ram. can't be the right. Okay, got it. Good, okay. Carrying each ram's horn, okay. And then on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into town. That's ridiculous. That, that why, would we, why would we do that? So it's one thing that I, I, at least in my own life, it's one thing to hear from the Lord. I've not heard from the Lord audibly. But reading the scripture, having the prompting of my heart as the Holy Spirit prompts me, it's one thing for God to say, okay, Dallas, I want you to take a step of faith, okay? But then it's another thing when I have to take that step of faith and bring other people like my family along. It's another thing where I say, okay, Renew Church, let's go, whatever it is. Or whatever it is in your life. It's one thing for the Lord to speak to you. It's a whole other thing whenever you have to share that plan. What I've realized more and more over and over again is God reveals a truth, and then he sees if you will follow the truth. So it's, it's almost like a second act of obedience. God, I, it, I always imagine it. God wants us to take one step of obedience, but I think it's actually two. One, will you listen? The second one is, will you follow through? I'm really courageous the first time. I'm really courageous when I get on the second story roof to jump in the pool. Now, it's a whole nother thing to actually jump in the pool. Still waiting, right? You go ahead and jump. Let me know how you do it. Right it's one thing to say all right hey we're going to go into full time ministry okay we're going to pack up and move to the middle of nowhere country in Africa where it's one thing to say yes i hear you lord it's another thing to actually do it and within that tell other people and wait and eagerly anticipate all your well loving christian friends tell you that you're dumb Well to be honest or non-believing friends. Well, have you prayed about it? Have you thought about it? Does it make sense? I still go back to whenever I felt called to go in the full-time ministry and I just got promoted to a pretty good position and I told some of the Christians at Kia where I was working for and they said, you're stupid. Can't you do both? Stupid is what I was called. I thought I was being faithful, but yeah, okay. And then, of course, all the doubts started coming in. Well, they're smarter than me. They've been doing this longer. They've been walking with the Lord. But it wasn't until reading through scripture, reading specifically through the judges, specifically when God says, if, you, if I tell you, then you follow. Okay, that's good enough for me. But do you know what I'm talking about? So Joshua gets this instructions from God. And in verse six, he goes and tells the priests exactly what the Lord says. He does change some things just because, not because he's not being faithful. He does mention, now, verse 10, do not shout. Don't even talk. Now, it's not all two million people. It's the military men plus the seven priests with the seven horns. Theologians suggest it's probably 100,000 people, roughly. So 100,000 people. It would be really hard for everyone to be quiet. Have you driven somewhere? and you're a kid, you ask them just to be quiet? Can you even be quiet? Who here has to drive in a car with the radio on or listen to a podcast? Is anyone able to drive silently by themselves? What a gift. And then you get anxious. I don't know. But so he, he, told, he tells them that specifically, like, do not shout, don't even talk. And just in case you don't get it, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. Do you know how incredibly hard that would be? So roughly, I'm guessing, I believe the theologians, 100,000 people. All right, guys, not a word. Not a word. And they do it. So verse 12, Joshua got up the... Early the next morning, and the priest came and carried the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, and they blew their horns again. And the armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. So just just quickly, seven, you see seven, eleven different times in here. Seven is a... Very prominent number to the Lord in the Bible. Um, seven priests, seven trumpets to march around the city, seven days. And with the seven trips around the city on the seventh day, it's roughly six or seven acres. So it won't really actually take that long. But seven is a significant number in scripture. It signifies perfection for the Lord. Completion, which reminds us that God has a plan that he will see to completion. Completion. Uh, no matter how foolish it may seem, you'll, you'll notice. So now pay attention. Every time you see seven, especially if it's repeated, you will see that God starts something and finishes something. And further, that number also shows that that um, on the spiritual side, that it, it's part of being sanctified, being made holy. Um, because God is holy and he desires us to be holy. That's why the creation, the Sabbath, and the fact that we are... Um, entering in to this new land and follow on the seventh day. It's a sign of perfection. It's also the length of many of the celebrations. Uh, Celebration is complete. So for those of you who want to celebrate your birthday all week long, I guess go ahead. Just kidding. But uh, it's seven is a perfect number. And then also notice he talks about the Ark of the Covenant or the Covenant of the Lord interchangeable. Joshua had to tell the priests because they were asked to do something very unusual up to this point. Normally the priests and the ark never went into battle. Never would go to war. Their whole purpose was to carry the Lord with them. The, the, the ark of the covenant represents the very presence of God. And the ark of the covenant also represents the greatest weapon that they have against any enemy that we have. And just one side note, the Ark of the Covenant also foreshadows Christ because the Ark of the Covenant is made of two natural things, wood and gold, just like Jesus Christ has two natures. He's fully man, 100%, fully God, 100%. So they are carrying with them the Lord into battle, which is the first time. And then, of course, the horn, the horn is the, so far, that's the horn, the left horn of the ram has to be the left the right side was used for various different uh, we- uh, weapons in the future. But the horn represents worship. Anytime you see that horn, it's a worship, or even a battle cry into worship. A silver horn is for, for an attack. See, what you, what you are actually seeing, what God is actually asking him to do. Now, picture this. They're supposed to go around. The priests are blowing the horns. Whatever it sounds like, right? Well, that's how it sounds like, but way better than that. Okay? So they're walking around celebrating their victory. So can you imagine being the bad guys, the Canaanites? They're celebrating a victory, and they haven't even thrown a stone yet. Like they're celebrating, many uh, military historians point to this to perhaps one of the very first examples of psychological warfare. They're celebrating, you know, I, I have to bring hockey at least once. I remember playing in a tournament when I was like 12 and this team from Canada, as soon as they got on the ice, they had their can- Canadian flag around and they were doing a victory lap even before we played. And it made me so mad, although they did win like 10 to 2, but whatever. But they like knew they were going to beat us. Do you know how defeating it is to know you're going to lose? It made me so angry with nothing we could do. But they were right. Like that missed, like as soon as they scored one goal, we lost. It was over. They knew. How did, you, how did they know? God like, loves Canadians more. I don't know, what, whatever it was. But, but this, is, this is what's happening. They're going around. Six days, celebrating the victory. Celebrating. Celebration is also a word that is used to worship. They weren't actually celebrating the victory in itself. They were worshiping the God who would deliver the victory. See, that's totally different. That's a game changer. So just to consider that, can you worship the Lord in your waiting? Because imagine this—he's—he's—he's he's, he's emphasized this. Okay, maybe the first day would be cool. Maybe day two, but day three and four, like what are we? We're, yay, we—we we won. But you have to be silent not until the end. So you just uh, okay. They get to blow the horn at least. But they're celebrating this victory. It's interesting that Joshua emphasizes for the people not to make any war cry. That's what he's telling them. Don't raise your voices. You have to resist this natural inclination of of celebrating. But then day four, I just imagine that the troops, these warriors, no weapons, just marching. So when God asks us to do things that don't line up with how we do things or how we think they should be done, he's dealing with our pride. He's dealing with our pride. Our faith journey that we're on, one of the things that the Lord is constantly working on in our life is pride. I mean, so much of Proverbs talks about pride. I just wrote down a couple. that won't be on the screen. It says Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the, hum- but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, Everyone who is arrogant in hearts is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 21.4, Haughty eyes and a proud heart is the lamp of the wicked areas are in our sin. So many times, as, he, as the Lord says, he uses the foolish things to disgrace us. I want you to go around and worship me and celebrate your victory that you don't think you already have. Which comes to the, the final point, and this spoke to me clearly. And As I was going through this, I was reading, and it was interesting to, walk, to look at different pastors and theologians the last 800 years as far as I went back. And in some form or another, just about everyone said something like this. And here's my rendition of it. Joshua was operating from victory, not for victory. Joshua was operating from victory, not for victory. This perspective is is everything for us. It deals with our desire to earn God's love, earn God's favor, earn God's promise. If we think that we are always trying to fight for a victory in the Lord, we are starting at a disadvantage. But if we operate from a place of victory, victory in Jesus Christ who died for our sins, that takes away all of the pride, all of our fear, and it just rests in Christ alone. This perspective helps us with big obedience, Two-foot obedience. I hear you, Lord, I believe, and I will do. And it also helps with big prayers. At our elders meeting on Tuesday, John mentioned about big prayers and asking God, or praying big prayers, and are we willing to pray big prayers? We can pray big prayers. This is not gospel, prosperity gospel. This is just, Lord, here's what you said. I believe in it. I believe in it. And I am starting in a position of victory because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Again, going back to the statement at the beginning, he wants, God wants us to face our strongholds because the Lord wants us to focus on him. And by doing so, he's able to bring the strongholds from a place of victory, the victory in Christ. And again, notice that he said in verse 2 of Joshua 6, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. You are starting in victory. And it happened exactly like God said it would. And yet it must have been surprising for many of them. Because this generation, if you remember, they did not see all the plagues in Egypt. They didn't watch Moses split the Red Sea or witness God wipe out Pharaoh's army. All they had is they walked on dry land in the Jordan River. Really haven't won any battles yet. They come to this fortified wall. And will they believe that God will do what he says? Um, for a long time, this was debated if this was an actual story. Until 1950s, there's Kathleen Kenyon. She was uh, excavated this area. And then more recently, uh, in 1997, they showed the walls. And there's a section, about an eight-foot section... That everything, as they culti- or excavated all of this, and you could see all the walls that they literally have fallen over, What there is a section on the wall, about 8 feet by 10 feet roughly, that did not fall. And they called this Rahab's wall. It makes sense. That was God's promise. So I, there is a picture here that you can see that um, just the beginning uh, from 97, and it goes all the way down. So this, this place in Palestine, currently Palestine, Jericho, is perhaps where Rahab had stayed. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that. But the walls literally fell down. One of the things, too, that we didn't really jump into too much is later on there's a curse that Joshua shares. Joshua says, if anyone is to, re, if anyone is to, first, he says, God says, don't take any, anything, nothing at all. It all belongs to the Lord. We're just here to wipe everything out. And then the next story is they sin and Achan steals some of that. We talked about that at camp. But the next thing he said is, is there will be a curse of anyone who tries to rebuild this wall. If you jump fast forward and, and you could read it on your own time, you will see that in, um, later on in second, or First Kings, a man tries to, to rebuild the walls and that curse happens. His oldest son is buried in the foundation and his youngest son at the gates. And guess what? There's skeletons that were found exactly there. So here, here's here's the here's the crux of it all, really. Victory begins when we realize that Jesus is number one, that he's in control, that he has promised us victory. Not an easy life, nothing like that, but a victory of our souls. And Joshua realized that because if, just quickly, if you go to Joshua 5, I'll be on the screen, he's he's camped out and he's getting ready to take Jericho. And Joshua 5, the Lord's commander confronts Joshua. Look at Joshua 5 verse 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? The new King James says, translate it, are you on our side or theirs? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this moment, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. The commander of the Israelites, Joshua, is confronted with the commander of the Lord's army. This is a Christophany. This is a verified one because he says exactly what Christ says. Take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And he asked him an important question. Are you for us or for them? And he says, neither one. It's not the point. Are you on my side? Are you following me? Fast forward to Abraham Lincoln and one of his famous things that he says is that he was interviewed by a newspaper and they said, President Lincoln, do you think God is for us? And he said, I'm not so concerned about that. I want to be on the side of God. And then he fell down. See, already Joshua was worshiping the Lord and knew that he was not actually commander of the Israelite army. See, our victory begins when we realize that we are starting from a place of victory. It begins when we concede our authority, our leadership, when we recognize Jesus is in charge of our life. I appreciate what Warren Wiersbe said about this specific thing. He says, "'Confess you are second in command. "'There can be no victory for the Lord in public "'unless we experience worship of the Lord in private.'" He would go on and say Joshua fell on his face in worship. He took off his shoes in humility and he turned all his plans over to his commander when he said, what does the Lord want from thy servant? He is worshiping in private when the Lord comes to him and when when we are worshiping the Lord in private, we then worship the Lord. He entrusts us to worship him in public in great victory. So finally... I believe every believer in here wants to know that they have faith that can endure. And faith that goes way beyond our thoughts, our feelings. And I would suggest we all want to know that our faith is full of courage. And even every believer wants to be reassured that their faith can withstand hardship. Every believer wants to be reassured of that 100%. And not just in the hard times. But in the weird times, in the obscure times, in the marching around the wall and not having too much to say, faith that is waiting on God, when God asks you to circle your problems, do you circle your problems? Will you do what he asks even if it's obscure? Will you do what he asks even if people don't agree with it? In some ways, we would rather God ask us to do a difficult task than a seemingly silly one. So, what will your faith endure? For some, it's hardship, and hardship tends to be the common dominator. But really, it's whatever that we face if we're willing to start from a place of victory. So this morning, I just ask, if, going back, is there anything that you've avoided that you should have done, any Jerichos in your life? And if you haven't, then, then don't feel bad. Shame is dealt with on the cross if you do something about it. But ask God to reveal to you whatever that is from a place of victory, he'll be faithful. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for these men and women that we have read through, are going through in Hebrews 11, and thank you for just the faithfulness of Joshua to lead in second in command to you, Lord, to lead the Israelites to start from a place of victory, start from a place of worship, Lord. We see that he worshiped in private and then again in public, Lord. Let that be evident in our lives, Lord, that we worship you in our private time, in our quiet time. Will you help us worship in the unknown? Will you help us worship you from a place of victory when we're circling around and not? not really seeing a plan, or we've seen a plan, but we don't like it, we don't understand it. Will you help us start from a place of victory? Lord, I do pray for anyone in here who does not know your son as Lord and Savior. That is the only place that victory is found in. Lord, we are all sinners and we all need you. Lord, I do pray for anyone in here who, who has accepted you as Lord and Savior, but hasn't let you be Lord of their life for a while. Let that be a victory in our life, Lord. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness despite us. Thank you that we do not not have to earn our salvation, Lord, and we just want to be obedient, not in our first step or second step. But just follow you, Lord, and help us also to be careful to give you the glory and not get too proud of ourselves for being obedient. Oh, you're so good, God. Thank you for your love. And as we worship you, just help us all... Um, be reminded that we start from a place in victory from the cross. We love you in Christ's name, amen.